Hi, I'm Nick Gregoratis, and this is the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Podcast. The show for grapplers and martial artists that want to evolve both on and off the mat. Welcome back to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood Show. I'm Nick Gregoratis, author of The Black Hole Blueprint, and I'm happy to bring you a fantastic guest this week. I've been away for a while. I've been traveling the United States, teaching a bunch of jiu-jitsu seminars and haven't been able to keep up with the podcast as much as I'd like. But as I said, I'm back with uh, we're back with a band. This is a fantastic guest, Scott Smith. Scott's got a great story. He started an academy with an investment of 300 bucks. He bought some secondhand mats and then he eventually turned that into a thriving jiu-jitsu business out in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's got some, some very interesting tips and insights on how he did that as well as how he overcame some really difficult life challenges. So uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Before you or before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you that uh, we have a discount for you on any of our stuff at the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood store. And we've just launched a fantastic new rash guard. It's called the Tail Eater Rash Guard. It's actually an update to one of our most popular pieces of gear We've gone and gone ahead and redesigned it, and the new one is really, really cool. So head on over to store.jujitsubrotherhood.com and use the coupon code PODCAST, and you can get that new rash guard and anything else for 10% off. Also, we're running a special on probably my most popular video product ever, which is called Beyond Technique. It's a collaboration I did with Kit Dale, uh, and it's focused on conceptual jiu-jitsu. In fact, it's probably the the best fundamental conceptual jiu-jitsu program out there or at least in my opinion it is, you can get that for 50% off until April the 1st if you use the coupon code BEYONDTECHNIQUE50. That's BEYONDTECHNIQUE50. Uh, so just head on over to the store and get that if you want to. It's a total game changer. Okay, guys, here we go with Scott Smith. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood show, and I'm here with Scott Smith, who is based out of Louisville, Kentucky, how are you doing, Scott? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Good, my brother. I'm, I'm going to say it straight up just to make you feel embarrassed. But, you know, I travel around the world teaching seminars, meeting these awesome people and going to meet academy owners and hang out with just, just interesting and unusual individuals. And I said to Scott when I left his place, I said, Scott, you're one of the coolest people I've met on this crazy trip of mine. And I meant it, man. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. You just... uh You've got a very good energy and a very good vibe, dude, and it's it's my great pleasure to have you on. No, thank you so much, man. I, I greatly appreciate it. That's at Southern Hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> I think your wife was cluing you into that. That's at Southern Hospitality. For sure, dude. For sure. The, that was actually my first trip to the to the deep south or to the south, mm-hmm. and um, the, the people are really something special out there. Did really. you like it? Did, did, you, did you feel it? It's different, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's definitely different. I mean... It might have been even more different if I'd gone to one of those super racist, like little pockets somewhere, like in Alabama. I might not have enjoyed it as much. <laughs> but but Louisville and, and Nashville, where I went, were, were pretty cool. Dude. I really enjoyed them for sure. That's awesome, and we welcome you back, dude. It was an incredible seminar you put on, man. We were so stoked. It was yeah. awesome. Thanks for that. So awesome. I had I had fun, my brother. So there's so much to talk to you about. I think. Um, you know, you, you've started this very successful gym out there, and we'll get onto that. But before we do, I really want to, as I was described, as I was explaining to you before we started the recording, I, I want everyone who listens to this show to 
to find out a little bit more about the, the journeys the guests have been on and, and the, the battles they've, they've come through. And you went through something you told me on, on, I think the second day I was there, you shared with me how um, you went through that tragedy with, with your parents. And I I'd really appreciate for you to share that with, with everyone, because uh, it seems you, you took something really powerful away from that. And you, instead of wallowing in grief and sorrow, you, you became a, a better person because of it. So I'd love for you to be able to, to share that if you don't mind. I know it's not an easy thing to talk about. No, I, absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> I actually had both my parents killed by a, a drunk driver back in 19, April 27, 1990. And I was probably 20, I think 23 years old when that happened. And my father was a martial artist. He's the one that got me obsessed with the martial arts. I remember as a little kid watching him running in a gym and, uh, he actually broke his wrist. These are funny things. How like your mind starts to pick up little snapshots of things that have happened, but he was just a martial artist and we would go to the drive-ins back when they had drive-ins and watch Kung Fu movies. And, you know, it was that, it was that thing that just drew you in. And, and, and little did I know that that impression was going to put, uh, make me a, um, a martial artist at heart. I mean, I, I, I've loved the martial arts my entire life and they were actually killed by a gentleman. They were actually going on vacation. The ironic thing is, is me and my wife, who was my, my girlfriend at the time, we weren't married was with them everywhere and this was the one trip they took by themselves and it was really just unusual and um so that happened and when that when that happened you know there's a lot of tragedies that happen to a lot of people and sometimes you can you know you can make that define who you are <clears throat> and you know I, I went through my fair share of you know depression and all kinds of other things based off that but i, I didn't want that to define who i was so i, I kind of took that as a thing with my father, because as I started building the school, I knew that was something that he would be super proud of me with. And my mother too, you know, but my dad was that, that martial art connection with me. And when, when that happened, um, you know, I, I changed as a, as, as a person, um, you know, each event that happens in your life, your life, I believe that it, it'll set you down a different path. Now, some of them are not so good. So you have to be able to identify and then make changes and adjustments and get help if you need help, which I did. You know, I mean, I, I had people helping me uh, immensely, which, you know, it took probably about three years for me to be able to, to come out of a super stink funk and, and turn around and, and be able to get back on my feet and realize that, I, you know, I, I've got a life to live and I've got a family that I have to deal with. What, what was that? Can you identify, was there a specific turning point or a specific thought or event that was the, the thing that just snapped you out of it and said, okay, I got to, I got to change or I, I got to let this go was anything you can think of you know I, one of the things I do in my life um, I always observe people and you know Master Sauer you know that's that's who I got my black butt under always kind of gets on me when I go to seminars and whatnot because I'm the guy that sits in the back you know I, I'm a third degree black butt under Master Sauer but I I don't have to sit up in the front and do anything I just I kind of observe and that's just kind of my nature and I, I started seeing a lot of negativity <clears throat> out of people in different events that they were going through in their life. And then what I did is I took the mirror and I flipped it over. So there's really not anything, one thing specific. There's just a bunch of little occurrences that, you know, that I just never wanted to be like, I'm like, I, I can't, I can't do this. And so now I, I kind of give advice to people that have issues or they may have grown up, you know, in a, in a, in a tough family or whatever. And they're always talking about their event. And I'm like, man, you don't have to live, 
that, that doesn't have to define who you are. You know, I mean, you're a, a different person and even a better person because of that, because of that, that challenge in your life. So, you know, a lot of those things happen. We went through some huge struggles with the family because it's not easy, but you know, we made it through and it, it enabled me to look and visualize a direction. And that direction was, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to, you know, take it and, and take it to that next level. So, you know, we, we kind of, you know, I, I decided at that point through many, many different uh, situations like that, that it was best for me to um, not live in that hole, if you will. For sure. So, I mean, when you, when you told me this story, we were in your car, we we're on our way to the academy. And the thing that I found very interesting is uh, you said something that really stuck out for me, which is you actually met the man who was responsible for this. And you said that everyone always tells you if something like that happened to them, they'd go and kick the shit out of that person or they'd do X or they'd do Y. And then you said to me, you don't know what you'll do. You don't know what you'll do in that situation. And I found, I mean, if you could just uh, relate to to the listeners, what happened when you, so I understand you were at the courthouse during the trial when you met this guy. Yeah, we, we went to the courthouse and, um, you know, it was unfortunate because <clears throat> he had his people and were there. It was, it, I, I have a, an older sister and two younger brothers. And, you know, I, I make my way to the restroom because <clears throat> the court's getting ready to start and the trial and all this other stuff for him. And I, I run into this man. He's 57 years old. I'm 23. And we square up face to face in the bathroom by, by ourselves. And, you know, you, you, you want to say that, you know, at that point I should have taken him down, you know, and just, just done whatever. But I honestly, I just, I didn't do anything. I just looked at him and he just walked up to me. He looked as, he lifted his head up cause he knew who I was. He looked me in the eyes, he lowered his head and he walked around me and it was like, you know, so I tell people to this day, you know, you just don't know what you'll do now. You know, I can go back with the same story when my little brother was getting beat up when he was younger and I, and I lost it, you know, and I went into a yard and beat the snot out of a kid that was picking on my brother. And so you just, you just never know what the trigger is. So, um, I tell people all the time, man, cause you know, people talk, but I'm like, you just honestly don't know what you'll do. Hmm. It's interesting. I had a, uh, the reason that story stuck out for me is cause I had a similar experience. I worked with someone for a long time and, and, uh, he kind of fucked me over in a, in a business deal pretty badly. And I remember, th- and then just cut me off entirely. I remember thinking, if I ever see that guy, I'm going to slap his face. That's, uh, just, that's just, that was the thing in my mind. I'm not going to mm-hmm. beat this dude up. I'm just going to give him a big open-handed slap just to humiliate him. And then I ran into the dude a few years ago. And I remember like, I was just kind of frozen. I was like, yes, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? Like, uh, so it really stuck out for me how, um, you know, we build these these things in our minds of how things are going to go down, and then life life usually has other plans, right? Interesting. You know, um, Scott, I wanted to, but it's oh. it's not saying that you're not that 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 you're not a person of passion. I think rationalization comes over your head. You know, your your the clarity, and you have mm-hmm. that inner battle. You know, versus that that person that just you wind up just losing it and going nuts and and doing something ridiculous, but. You know, I think it's intelligence is what I think. I think it's intelligence that sits in your head and you have this battle between, you know, what, what all humans can be at times and then and what you should do. So, I mean, that's, that's the way I define it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to what you've just said. Uh, so, Scott, let's talk about the second um, event you described to me, which I, I, from what you said, it sounded like another very defining or pivotal moment in your life, which is 
you were a very successful executive in in the heart of corporate America. Am I am I correct? Yes, yes. I was in the corporate world for thirty two years. Yeah, and, and you were you were pretty high up. You were very good at your job, and mm-hmm. you came into work one day and they gave you the, the talk and let you go. Is, is that basically the accurate? Yeah, man, I, I've got to share this with you because it's. I think it's interesting for people to hear. Sure. You know the the, the sixth sense, the intuitions, all those things. But mm-hmm. I worked for the company. I I, wor- I was in that industry for thirty two years, but I worked for this family for twenty eight years, and a massive company. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the gentleman that owns the company has a seventy square mile farm in Montana. I mean, he's just he's got more money than than God, <laughs> and and so. You know, it, the company changed. They actually <clears throat> do acquisitions. They're buying all these different uh, paint coating companies uh, throughout the country. And, you know, so I'm, I'm a part of upper management, right, at the time. But then I was middle management when this company bought us. Mm-hmm. And I ran four cities, you know, and I had 21 people that answered to me. And I had, uh, you know, I was responsible for like $12 million a year, which is not earth shattering, but it was still a decent number. Mm-hmm. And so I had all these responsibilities and I'm traveling and I'm running the gym. I'm, I'm building the gym that we're, we're currently at now. And it just kept growing and kept growing. And I kept trying to hold it off. I'm like, man, I, I just, you know, I'm a six figure guy. But the car that you like, the, the Honda Accord Sport that I drive, right? That, that was the first car that I've had to purchase since 1986. Since 1986, that's the first car. So you, you can see the way my life was through the corporate world. I had all these gifts, right? And I get this phone call because we're getting ready to close. We're, we're combining two of our stores in Lexington, Kentucky. And we already started moving one. And then we had to work on moving the second location. And they called me up on a Friday. And the story is funny because Henry Akins had came in because the fall camp, Master <clears throat> Pedro Sauer was doing the fall camp here in Louisville. And Henry was a guest. So Henry, I know I've known Henry for like nine years, Henry Aiken. So he flies in, he stays at my house and he's at the house with my son and I'm, I'm out at work. And I said, I, my boss calls me and I says, Hey man, he says, why don't you just, we get together at noon. I'm like, man, can we do this quickly? I said, so that way I can, I said, I've got this, this camp thing I'm trying to do. And I've got a gentleman. He goes, no, nah, no worries, man. Come on. So I cruise in, I walk through the door and I'm sitting down and I'm there with all the people and they're all just chatting. No, no, no weird vibe, no nothing. He says, Hey man, let's talk about this. So we get up and we go inside of the, uh, the meeting room and we sit down and I said, Oh man, I got to use the restroom real quick. I'll be right back. So I run to the bathroom. So I had to drain some liquid. And as I'm in the middle of using the restroom, I look up and it hits me. I said, I'm being let go. Oh my God, I'm being let go. And this weird feeling came over me. So then I washed my hands, walked out, walked back into the meeting room. There they sat. And see, you, you start paying attention to your surroundings. There sits your boss with a vanilla, with manila envelope. And then your direct boss is sitting there with nothing in front of him. And you're supposed to be talking about something. So they had no information. So I sat down. I put my tablet on the table. And then, of course, they said, hey, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And so at that point, 30 minutes later, I'm standing outside in the parking lot with a box in my hand, lo- unloaded my car. And I called my wife and, and they were wanting to give me a ride home. At, at, and I said, no, no. I said, I'm, my wife is going to come and get me. So she comes and gets me. And this is the funny part. They actually have video of this. So my wife takes me home. And the weird part was, is when that happened, I was so miserable in the corporate world that it was such a relief for me, a sense of peace came over me like I can't even explain. Uh, normally, I, I mean, I'm the breadwinner of the family. So, you know, normally I would be stressed out. I was not stressed at all. But I got in the car, I drive all the way home, and Henry Akins and Dalton, my son, 
had party hats, throwing confetti at me, blowing horns. They went out and bought all this confetti stuff. And they're saying it's, they're, they're, it's like a surprise party. They're saying this is the best day of your life. I'm dead serious, man. I'm just looking at them like, you all are a bunch of idiots. And they're all <laughs> blowing the horns and running around and patting me on the back and saying congratulations. And I'm just like, what are you all doing? <laughs> I mean, great. it was insane. And I'm like, you're all, but you're all assholes, man. And they're like, no, man, you're going to, you know. So the whole weekend we go up there and, you know, and, and you're shocked and devastated. But I'm here to tell you, man, it was the best thing that ever happened to me yeah. in my life. That's in great. In my life, it was insane. That's, uh, you know what, what I find interesting is that uh, you were explaining to me how, you know, it's, it would be one thing if this was your absolute dream job and you woke up every day feeling fulfilled and excited about by what you were doing. But it's my understanding that it was really taking its toll on you and that was manifesting in your relationships with your family and the way you felt about yourself and your health. Is that correct? Oh, I was drinking six days a week. Yeah. I didn't realize until after I was done. And, and when you get let go from a job and your wife says to you, you weren't the man I married, that, that's a reality check. Mm. that is a true reality check and Big it took time. me about two years to detox and I'm completely different I'm not even the same guy you know that was stressed that was screaming at you know I'm just do phone calls at work and just just hate Sundays it's like I don't even know what day it is now literally <laughs> a Monday is a Friday it's a Saturday to me it doesn't even matter and it's That's just great. insane it's great. I mean, the, the thing that's always, it's always been clear in my mind. And that is that for one of a better, a more eloquent way of putting it, the company doesn't give a fuck about you, man. They just no. don't. They don't. Like, and uh -uh. Something that, that uh, my friend and I were discussing recently, I, I was listening to some program on investing and this guy was saying, no one cares as much about your money as you do. Right. And he was saying like, you don't need a, portfolio manager or an investment advisor or financial advisor, you need to go figure this stuff out for yourself because no one is going to manage your money with as much attention and care as you will, because you're the one who's invested in it. And then I started thinking it's the same with your health, right? No one mm -hmm. cares as much about your health as you do. Your doctor doesn't. He can, be nope. cool, he can be the coolest dude in the world and he can help you and everything, but he doesn't care as much about your health as you do. The hospital doesn't, your health insurance company doesn't, it's all on you, you know? And yes. uh, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a challenging and sobering thought, but it's ultimately liberating to realize that you have the power, right? You, you like it's your destiny is largely in your hands, not totally, but largely in your hands. And I think that's what, what, what happened to you in this, when you were, when you left the corporate world is you really took your destiny into your own hands. And one of the things uh, that I really want you to share with people is how you, you built your gym, which is called Gracie Kentucky into such a, a wonderful facility. I mean, Actually, both of the gyms I went to in the Deep South were fantastic. I went to Gracie Baja Franklin mm -hmm. uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, which is also a wonderful gym. And then yours, which was very similar. They were both ex exceptionally clean and well-run and with great branding. And I was just blown away by the quality of these two gyms. Um, so can you tell me how you – I know it start, you, you said you started that gym. It's got now 200 members, and you started on an investment of – $385. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Oh, yeah. It's, this is a, a lot of my friends that are um, uh, business people. Actually, I have a mentor 
uh, Mark Kelly from Kelly Construction, and his company does like a couple hundred million dollars a year. And I told him the story. And he's like, dude, you got to tell people that story. You got to tell, I mean, because I mean, I'm just thinking, hey, man, I just got lucky. You know, let, let me make it crystal clear. Our first business we had, which was a tanning salon, we failed. Okay, I've had a failed business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you never do anything off emotion. And I, and I didn't know that at the time. But, man, it was like, you know, you're thinking, oh, I can do it, man. I can take this place and turn it around. I can do – and two and a half years of misery, you know, and didn't make a dime. And so I watched this show on 2020, and it was called it – was a, it was a, a segment they did, and the guy was out of Canada, and it was called One Red Paperclip. And what it was, if you haven't heard of the story, is One Red Paperclip is where this gentleman from Canada – just on Craigslist decided to take a red paper clip and I just mean a plain paper clip and trade it. And he wanted to see how far he could go. His goal was to get a house. And after I think it was 12 or 14 trades, he wound up getting a house. Okay. So if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, type in one red paper clip, 2020 version. It is, it's short, quick, but it is so awesome. I was so inspired by that, that I was going to take a hundred dollars and go out and buy something and see if I could buy something for a hundred bucks, get it, sell it for one fifty. Buy something else for one fifty, sell it for two fifty, and just keep growing it. Well, at the time, I was trying to get in with the school that I was at, that I was teaching at for like fourteen years, and they had several owners, and of course, they didn't want me in there because it's just more money. But I had a bigger vision, and one of the owners couldn't see that. I, I wasn't really interested in what they had. I was interested in dominating Louisville, you know, going out and putting schools everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, so it didn't happen. So I just finally made a decision. I said, man, I, I want to do something on my own. And what motivated me was, is that my son was going to college and I didn't save for college. So I've, I've, I've read and read and read. I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I, and, and I hear all the time, you know, let the businesses pay for this and pay for that. So I said, how am I going to pay for my son's college? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and uh, open a small club, get XYZ people, and I can make those payments and voila. So I actually gave private lessons as a brown belt. This is right before I turned black belt. And I got like $385 in a drawer. So I go out and buy yard signs. Uh, I buy a prepaid phone, which all I did was put an answer machine on it because at that time it was like, golly, like $2 a minute. So I bought a prepaid phone with a specific number that I could put on the signs because I had company phone, but I couldn't use that. Mm-hmm. And then one, in one month's rent at a church and 13 people signed up. So I'm like, great. So I only had Saturday classes. So as we started rolling there, I'm putting yard signs out everywhere. I'm doing all this different stuff, but I never spent a dime. I took that money and rolled it, right? So I kept rolling it. And most people are probably thinking, well, how'd you get the mats? Well, when the school that I was at got rid of their Tiffin mats and all their old nasty mats and and they put up a nice zebra system, they basically were given the mat. He just wanted them out. So I grabbed a couple of them and stored them. You know, I stored them away. That was my start. Mm-hmm. And so I had the mats and I went up to the church, stocked them, and then we started growing. Then we went to our second location. We shared with the girls that uh, did Zumba. And actually, the guy that created Zumba came to our school, this Beto guy. And um, mm-hmm. so then we were sharing with them. They broke off. We took over that. Then we moved to Louisville because I had 70, I think at the time, 72, I think 72 students. Mm-hmm. And they were starting to dwindle because people were driving from Louisville, Kentucky, all the way out to Spencer County, which is another county. Long story short, I said, we got to move in. These were all the decisions that I made. So we moved into Louisville, and I'm still working the corporate job, by the way. Mm-hmm. And we move into Louisville. We do the build out. Again, all I did was roll the money. I, I, this, I've never spent a dime of the cash. 
So everything I'm doing is off the money I rolled off the $385. Mm-hmm. And I wind up going to a 2,500 square foot facility. And then this facility you came to is our 4,000 square foot facility. When we moved over here, mm-hmm. completely renovated, you know, we've got all the nice uh, features, zebra mats, everything, and everything in the school's paid for. All I do is pay rent, right? Mm-hmm. So we took that investment. Have ne- I never borrowed a dime out of my savings. I never borrowed a dime from the bank. I took that $385 and I rolled it. Now we're at 200 members in jujitsu and probably like 30-ish uh, in, um, in fitness. Mm-hmm. And, and we're still growing. We're growing every year. That's insane. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a guy out there listening who is, I'm sure there's a bunch of them who are sitting at a desk right now uh, having just got an email from their boss pitching at them and they're feeling that soul destroying <laughs> sinking feeling. And listening to this, I hope they see that there is a pathway out, especially if you, if you love jujitsu, obviously it took a bunch of hard work and there was a bunch of risks involved and you had to hustle, but it can be done, right? Like if, if you, if you just believe in yourself and, and, and you hustle, it can be done. And that's such a cool story, Scott. That's really, really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. No, 100%, man. And, you know, and I tell people this all the time. I've, I actually put a video out one time because and, 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 people that aspire to open gyms that are just scared to death. And I'm like, man, I, call me. I'll talk to you. I have no problem. And what I did was from the bottom roots, the ground up. I mean, legitimately the ground up. And I mm-hmm. took it. It was a game. That's what it was. And now I make a living. I didn't share this, but I pretty much make the exact same money I did as I did in the corporate world. Awesome. I mean, it's like, but, but it was wise and I didn't take a paycheck for a long time to make that, but I worked my butt off running four cities. I mean, you can do it one of two ways, right? People say, Oh, get this investment, pour your soul in it. What you feed grows. I get that. But at the time I had a family, I I couldn't do that. Right. I didn't want to take that risk. So I call, I call it a calculated risk. If you take a calculated risk, it's different and you can grow something from within on part time. So that way, when you go into it, it's not such a punch in the neck whenever you look up and go, okay, we don't have insurance now. I don't have a paycheck coming in, you know, and it's just, it's too stressful and people just freeze. Yeah, really. That's, that's, I think that's sound advice as in, you know, it doesn't mean you have to burn all your bridges or uh, set the boats on fire and, and conquer the new world you know you can still have you can still kind of hedge your bets a little bit you know uh by maybe keeping your day job and and running and starting something on the side and seeing how that goes i think it is again it's a paradox because a lot of people would say that doing that or adopting that method is a recipe for failure because you're not fully committed but Mm -hmm. I, i can see from both sides i can see i mean there's probably that guy who i mentioned that person sitting at the desk with a horrible boss wanting to start a jiu-jitsu business. I mean, if he's got two kids and a mortgage payment, it's probably not a smart thing for him to do to just cash in his 401k tomorrow and quit his job and go start a jiu-jitsu academy. Like that might not be the smarter thing that, that, that might not be a calculated risk. You'd have to figure out how to hedge his bets a little bit. Would you agree? Yes. I, I, when I, when I made the change over, I was 49, I'm 52. Okay, I'm I'm 52 years old, and I was 49 when I when I got let go. So imagine that. Imagine 49 and me trying to say, okay, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, I had to tell my son, man, hey, man, you got to go get a, you got, you know, he was coming in from college trying to figure it out. I'm like, 
you've got to go get insurance, Dalton. I can't, I can't support you. So the risk factor, and this is what I talk about because I did that. I took investment dollars and bought my first business. <laughs> and of course, I made the mistakes, but here's one thing I'll share with you. Education is expensive no matter how you get it. <laughs> I don't care how you get it. It's expensive, whether you go to college or whether you do, you know, the, the school of hard knocks. But you have to learn from each event. I took all the knowledge that I learned from the automotive industry, and I brought it over here to this school. Mm -hmm. And I, I run it by the P&L. I run it, I mean, I run it as a business. And I've had people that, that, that didn't like that. You know, they, they like the club mentality or the small, you know, garage mentality. And I just say, hey, man, I'm so sorry. Maybe our school's not for you, you know? And then others yeah. love it. They're like, man, this place is, it's on point. I mean, you guys are constantly updating. You're doing all the stuff. And, you know, because it's a, it's a business. You try to, and, and I haven't won a world championship. I mean, I'm not a, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, you were talking a little bit about our, our, you know, training as you get older, you know, I'm just happy to get on the mats and sweat. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, my body, I mean, I've got a personal trainer now that's trying to help me get through all my ailments and surgery issues that I've had. And it's like, you know, but when you offer a product to people and we have good jujitsu, I mean, we have two professors here, including myself. And then you, we've got two black belts. We've got a fifth black belt getting ready to get promoted in March. And we've got brown belts and purple. So we've got a lot of higher ranks and everybody that does jujitsu knows how long that takes. I mean, it takes a, it takes a long time. And so it's, it's a unique opportunity to develop and grow that and, and, you know, sticking with the people that are true to you and, and, and like-minded as I call the same vision makes it that much easier. It just does. Totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, you said something, that I think about a lot, which is you said, you're not a world champion. And, and I think, I think it was you and I that were discussing in the crowd. It was, you have a, a friend who operates. I mean, we don't need to, to mention his name, but he operates in a city uh, and his academy is down the street from a, a world champion jiu-jitsu player slash UFC fighter. And your buddy is just, he's just a guy with a black belt. And he, uh, he, he whips this guy in, in student retention and student numbers and, and as a businessman, because people think that you have to be this ninja like killer who's won all these gold medals to, to run a successful jiu-jitsu academy. And it's just not true. And then very often it's the opposite. I find that the guys who are world champions or exceptional athletes, they kind mm -hmm. of rest on those laurels. And those, those aren't necessarily the things you need in business. You know, you need a, a, a different kind of skill set, and you need, customer service skills and you need to put systems in place. You don't just need to be able to do 200 push-ups and rope climb until you can vomit and then go and spar 50 rounds. That isn't necessarily equated with, with uh, jiu-jitsu business success. No, you know, and this was said to me, I've got a lot of business friends and one of my dear friends, he owns a water treatment company. I'll, I'll, I'll mention his name, Rich Van Hook. I love this guy. He, he's, he's, my, he's my partner, man. I love this guy. And he said to me, and it, and it resonated. I even passed this information off to a competitive gym here in Louisville. But he said to me, he looked right in my face whenever I was, got let go, and he said, Scott, he said, these people are not your students. They're your customers. And he said, if you treat them like customers, meaning always service first, he said, your retention is going to be higher. People are going to start talking, and they're going to want to come in. And that's exactly what's happened. And I had a gym owner who some of his people came over here from his school and we had two different mindsets, right? He's more of an, uh, of a fight school. And that's, and when I say that, I mean like the, you know, the, they do the MMA stuff and all that. And that's totally, totally cool. I love it. But I even shared it with him. I'm like, man, this will help you immensely. 
you know, because you, if you look at people like, and, and I, I come from a Taekwondo background mm-hmm. and I struggled in the eighties, how, you know, guys would bark at you, these, these, these chief instructors, like you were a dog. And I remember it when I was in my teens and I'm like, golly, man, you know, and they, they it was just, it was just a weird feeling. And I never had forgotten that. And when he shared that with me, so you take that level of customer service to your people that come in and you challenge them and you put them through great classes and you, you know, their goals and you know where they want to go. Maybe they want to lose weight. And we've had guys here that have lost 80 pounds, 80 pounds, man. I mean, this, yeah, this guy is like half the human being he was, and it was jujitsu. We have another father who the doctor said, you're not going to live if you do not cut your weight. And he's got three babies at home, and jujitsu is the only thing that he started. He lost, he's lost 40, 42 or 43 pounds, I think, because he won't tell mm-hmm. us now. He, he goes, I don't even weigh myself anymore. But you can see it in his face. You can see it in his body because when he first came in, you're like, oh, dude, I don't think you're going to make it. <laughs> he was just that big, and I'm like, I don't think you're going to make it, dude. Mm-hmm. But he was so driven. You know what I'm saying? His <laughs> desire of, of making it was far greater than the pain he went through in jujitsu being that heavy. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I see that story over and over again, pretty much everywhere I go. It's it's such a, a blessing that, that uh, jiu-jitsu and physical activity can give. Scott, my brother, it has been a great, great pleasure and honor for me to host you on the show. And I'm, I'm sure everyone listening thoroughly enjoyed it as well. If uh, the audience wants to reach out and get in touch with you or come train with you, where's the best place to go to contact you and connect with you? Yeah, well, there's several places. You can go to GracieKentucky.com. That's our website here in Louisville. And we're also – or you can go to our web, uh, our Facebook page, which is Gracie Jiu-Jitsu of Kentucky in J-Town. It says slash Louisville. There's actually two schools that, that have the Gracie name. We're Kentucky, and we're in J-Town, which is called Jefferson Town here in Louisville. Uh, and if anybody wants and – and I'll throw this out. If anybody wants to chat about their dream and starting a school or whatever, they can look me up on Facebook and friend me, and I'll be more than happy to, to, to give my insight on what I did, give more detail on what I did, and, and help gym owners throughout the country. I mean, I, I really like giving back, and, and you know, I've, I've been in the professional uh, world for many, many, many years, and I just took it and brought it over here. Um, so you, make sure you friend me with a decent Facebook because if it's kind of one of those sketchy ones, I just don't <laughs> <For sure. laughs> Scott, my so, brother, thank you so much for your time, my man. Blessings. Thank you, G. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure and I uh, can't wait to have you back out, my friend. So Scott, as I'm sure you guys agree, is just a wonderful human being. And hearing of all the adversity that he came through, just it just galvanizes me, you know, and we all have times in life where we feel like it's too difficult or we feel like it's just too much but very few of us have things on that scale and to see what he's done and how he's overcome that it just puts everything into perspective for me uh i highly recommend if you are traveling to the south you stop by at scott's academy in louisville wonderful academy with a great vibe also guys keep in mind if you want to host me for a seminar at your academy in the united states just send an email to seminars at jujitsubrother.com and we'll see if we can work something out. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Peace out and I'll be back next week with another one.